Are we ready to open next month? I think so. You think so? Well, it's complicated. Fire protection, first aid supplies, uniforms, safety training, mat services. Oh, and restroom supplies. So uncomplicated. Call Sent Us. They'll handle all of it. Wow. One company can handle all that? That's not very complicated. So, you'll be ready? Oh, we'll be ready. Oh, I'm ready! Learn how CentOS can help you get ready for the workday. Visit CentOS.com. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you will find anywhere. Today's Thursday, and that means matchups as we get ready for Sunday night's game between the Green Bay Packers and Washington Redskins at FedEx Field. Before we get rolling on today's show, I would like to thank you, as always, for making this show possible. I couldn't do it without you, and frankly, I wouldn't do it without you. I don't, I don't need to listen to my own voice. <laughs> um, please check out the rest of the great Lockdown Network, which includes Lockdown NFL, Lockdown Fantasy, and Lockdown Redskins, for more insight on Sunday's game. And of course, please go over to PackReport.com to check out my work over there. Um, members at PackReport get 10% discounts on tickets and gear. And new or renewing annual members get a year of Sports Illustrated. And like I said, it is Matchups Thursday, but we're going to lead off with first down. The Green Bay Packers made a move yesterday, and they signed running back Kristen Michael off waivers from Seattle. He is the Seahawks' leading rusher. So the Packers suddenly have, on paper, looks like a pretty pretty darn good running back. Michael, the odd man out over there, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. I talked to... Vincent Verhai, who is our Lockdown Seahawks guy, he's also one of the editors over at the fantastic website Football Outsiders, which I'm sure many of you have checked out. So Vincent's going to check, or Vincent's going to provide us some insight here in just a moment. It'll be interesting to see how fast the Packers can get him up to speed. Since waivers were done on Wednesday, he won't be in Green Bay until today. It's hard. I guess I'd be surprised if he can do much of anything for Thursday's game, but at least it gives him. Some semblance of a running attack, in theory. I mean, we, we, all, we all thought the same about Niall Davis as well, and you know we know how that worked out. But I think this is a big move for, for Green Bay. You look, we've talked about this before, the Packers have no big plays in the passing game, and a big reason for that is because they have no play-action game. And the reason for that is they don't run the ball. So now they got they got Michael, and they've got James Starks, and of course you still got Ty Montgomery. So maybe, just maybe, they can run the ball at a high enough level where they can have balance and they can kind of run the offense that, that Mike McCarthy envisioned before the season. All right, enough of that. Let's talk, turn this sucker over to Vincent, who I talked to yesterday. All right, Vincent, we'll cut to, cut to the chase here. Um, why did the Seahawks release their leading rusher? <laughs> that, is, that is a rare occurrence. It is. You don't often see first-place teams cut the leading ground guy, although this uh, you, don't, you don't often see first-place teams with a running back depth chart this deep. And that's the biggest reason. Um, the Seahawks are coming into this year um, with Thomas Rawls, who had a great rookie year before he broke his ankle, and Kristen Michael, who they're, they're once and future uh, <laughs> prodigy running back. He was available. He knew the system, so they signed him after uh, Rawls went down. And Michael came back and um, really played really well for the last three games of the regular season last year. So coming into 2016, um, Michael was going to be the guy until Rawls was healthy. That was the plan. Okay. 
And then uh, Rawls got hurt almost immediately as soon as he started playing again. Uh, he went from a broken ankle to a broken leg. So you look at the rest of the running backs they had available. Um, they drafted two, C.J. Procise out of Notre Dame, who also got hurt in week one, broke his hand. And uh, when you are a running back, and especially a running back whose uh, primary, primary purpose in the offense is to catch passes, a broken hand is very bad. Yes, it is. Um, they also drafted a kid named Alex Collins out of uh, Arkansas, I think. Yep, Arkansas, right. Yep. And uh, finally, uh, in the free agent pool, they got a surprise kid named Troy Main Pope, who played very well in preseason but ended up not making the roster. And he ended up going to the Jets on their practice squad, and they cut him just a few days ago, and Seattle re-signed him. So what happened was the Seahawks looked around. They had just reacquired Troy Main Pope. Uh, they had just seen what Procise could do when he was finally healthy in a Sunday night game over New England when he led the team in rushing and receiving. Uh, Thomas Rawls is going to be coming back this week, although it's not quite clear how much he's going to start or excuse me, how much he's going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reacquired Pope that they like a lot. They still have a lot of faith in Alex Collins. He's, uh, Collins has not done much this year, but he's played very little. He has, uh, I have right in front of me here, 10 carries for just 19 yards, but they still like him. And they looked around and they said, you know what? We've got five running backs. We don't need them all. Who do we like least? Okay. <laughs> and it, when, the, when the dust settled, they said, you know what? The guy who has the least uh, possibility to help this team going forward is Kristen Michael. Um, and it was a strange odyssey with him because he was a second-round pick in 2013, um, never played much at all behind Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin for two years. And then in 2015, right before the season last year, they traded him to Dallas. Dallas ends up cutting him, and Seattle reacquires him, and there's, that's where we ended up. So, um, yeah, there, there's, no, there's no scandal, there's no controversy, there's no uh, drama. It's just they like the other four running backs. They have more, and they don't need five. All right. Um, obviously, you've seen them play plenty. Um, what, why do you think it never quite worked out for him? I mean, you're a second-round pick. You're big. You're fast, you're strong, you seem to have all, everything that you need, so wh- why didn't it work out, do you think? You know, he always looked good with the ball in his hands. Uh, he didn't get a lot of carries before, you know, on, 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 in, when Marshall Mitch was around, he never got a lot of carries, but he looked pretty good when he got the ball, and even this year, he hasn't been bad. He's averaging four yards a carry, about 50 yards a game. Uh, they've, become more, they've become more of a passing team this year. He doesn't. He's a lousy receiver. Oh, great! No. Well, the Packers throw the ball seventy percent of the time, so that ought to work out well. <laughs> yeah, um, he's not going to be. He's not a Darren Sproles type or anything. Um, I never honestly noticed him one way or another as a blocker, but uh, I, as long as the ball is in his hands, he should be okay. Um, if you just call call a running play and give him the ball, everything will be fine. Not great, but fine. And uh, don't I wouldn't bother throwing him the ball. <laughs> He's not a third down back. But other than that, I was I was not surprised at all that two teams put in claims for him. The Vikings put in a claim as well. I figured he'd be out of work for about 24 hours, and that's about what it was. He comes to a from what you describe as a, as a loaded depth chart to a team with with almost no depth chart. They have they have James Sarks as their starter, and I, I think I might have a number two. So it's it's a great it's a great landing spot. Um, Know what you know about him. I'm not asking if he's going to be the savior here, but I mean, if he's a guy who's got a chance to get eight, ten, twelve carries a game, do you think he could actually help these guys out? 
I should be, yeah. Um, I'm looking at this now. It, forgive me for my ignorance. Is, is Eddie Lacy out for the long term? Oh, uh, yeah. He's on IR, so you know you know how he can be. It's, it's an eight-week deal at most, or at least. So he, he could potentially come back week 15, but the running's back, running backs coach actually lets slip that he'll be out probably until the playoffs. Yeah, okay. In that case, in, in that case then, yeah, I'd say Michael's probably the best guy on, on Green Bay right now. All right. Vincent, we appreciate your insight. Thanks very much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoy it. All right. The Packers, of course, on the road this week and next week against Philadelphia. Then a two-game homestand against division-leading Houston and Seattle. A couple of great matchups. You'd like to go, wouldn't you? Well, here's how you do it. Go to SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the football games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at Lambeau Field for the biggest plays of the year and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great value. I had the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any other game this season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, first, download the SeatGeek app. Then go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then you enter my promo code, which is L-O-Packers. That's L for locked, O for on, Packers. L-O-Packers. Then SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app today and enter the promo code L-O-Packers. All right, on to second down, and that's when the Packers have the ball against the Washington defense. And... I mean, this is going to sound like a broken record. I mean, this is basically what I told you guys last week about the Colts defense, or the Titans defense, and what I said about the Colts defense, and what I said about the Falcons defense. Washington's defense, not very good. They rank 17th in points allowed at 23.2, so not bad there, but I mean, pretty much across the board, they're not very good at anything else. They're, they're 23rd in yards per play, 28th in rushing per play, and 18th in passing per play. Even worse, third down, they're, they're 29th on third down, 20th in the red zone. So a lot of a lot of problem spots there. And we talked to Redskins coach Jay Gruden on the conference call on Wednesday. And in situation of football, it's his big concern with his team. His team has won his one uh, is five one and one since an 0 2 start. But the situation of football is is one of his his trouble spots. You know, you look at you know, you look at what's House Green Bay going to attack. Well, I mean, with with only James Starks in the backfield at this point, and and Ty Montgomery, I mean, it's probably going to be the same recipe as the last few weeks. I think it'll be some running the football, but mostly this game is be on Aaron Rodgers in the passing attack. And I, you know, I I, I think McCarthy's going to look at the matchups here and feel pretty good about it. Of course, the the uh, the elephant in the room would be cornerback Josh Norman, who. Was an all-pro at the Panthers last year. They franchise-tagged him, and then they suddenly pulled that away. He became a free agent, and Washington gladly swooped in and took him. He is a one of the premier guys in this league. He is a lockdown guy, 
And I'm not sure what Washington's going to do with him. Are they, are they going to match him on Jordy Nelson? Are they going to match him against Devontae Adams? Or could they possibly just station, um, station him to one side of the field and, and he just takes whoever goes over there? But he, I mean, the rest, the rest, the rest of Washington's secondary is the same group who Green Bay exploded pretty well in that playoff game last year. But Norman is the X factor, where Norman take, just takes care of one guy, and now now you can just put your safety help on the other guy. So he is a a big difference maker on that on that defense. So it'll be interesting to see what Green what, what Washington does from that perspective. The other corner, Bashaw Breeland, a, a third round pick a couple years ago, um, pretty decent player, and the and their slot is Kendall Fuller. I, I would I hate to say this because I said this. Last week too, you think that slot is maybe where Green Bay can attack, but but the Packers didn't get anything done last week with Randall Cobb against against Tennessee slot uh, Bryce McCain, who's not a, not a very good player either. So, um, and and at safety, this is a weak link here. Dante Whitner and Will Blackman are the starting safeties. Whitner used to be good; he's thirty one now. He's lost a couple steps. He still hits like crazy, but uh, not 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 exactly the the athlete to cover cover anybody anymore. And, and Will Blackman, you, you probably remember him from his time in Green Bay. He's, he was a fourth-round pick in 2008 as a cornerback. Never panned out. He was hurt all the time. But when he finally got healthy, he became a darn good punt returner. But here he is starting for the Redskins at safety at age 32. I mean, you, I mean, you have to go after that group I mean, of, of safeties, whether... Where you, you test them down the middle, and getting Jared Cook back in that regard would be a huge help. If you can get Cook, I mean, you know, it's, it's almost a cliche thing with tight ends. You know, you, you run him straight up the middle of the field. I, I sure liked my chances with six foot five Jared Cook, who runs like the wind against those guys. Uh, Cook did practice yesterday, so that's, I think all signs are pointing to him returning on Sunday after missing the last six games. Um, asked I asked Aaron Rodgers yesterday about uh, about uh. Josh Norman turning back to him for a second. Roger said, I think I think they trust him to go guard one guy man to man. He's done star coverage throughout the season, whether that's on Odell Beckham of the Giants or AJ Green of the of the Bengals. With us, I don't know if that would be Jordy or Devontae at this point, but they're comfortable putting him on a guy and saying, Hey, you've got him for the game, and we'll worry about everybody else. What Washington does do good against the pass is they rush the passer. I mean, they've got a three-man pass rush. Ryan Kerrigan and Trent Murphy, seven sacks apiece. Preston Smith has three and a half. Uh, I believe two of those came last week. Uh, Murphy is a guy I thought the Packers would go after a couple of years ago in the draft, and they didn't. Um, he's a big, physical guy. And like the Packers do with with uh, Dayton Jones and Julius Peppers on, on passing downs, he moves inside the defensive tackle to rush the passer. Preston Smith, another guy I thought the Packers might take a swing on a couple years ago. Really athletic guy in long and has pretty good size too. Or maybe he could play that elephant spot, I thought, as well. So they, they have a great pass rush with 17 and a half sacks just from those three guys alone. Can the Packers run the ball or will the, or will the Packers bother running the ball? Washington's defensive line is a bunch of so-so veterans. And their inside linebackers are Mason Foster and Will Compton. Not a great unit there either. Here's a <laughs> here's a number for you. The Packers, zero touchdowns rushing from a running back. Washington has allowed 13 rushing touchdowns. So that is a uh, 
Um, not, not exactly strength versus strength there. So there are, again, there are plays to be made for Green Bay on the ground if they choose to try to bother making those. It'll be, again, we'll, we'll see what Mike McCarthy's game plan is. And But, you know, I, I think I, we've talked about this every day, I think, this week. For the Packers, you got to get some sort of balance. Is is for all the great things Riders can do, and cornerback Josh Norman was couldn't have been any more, couldn't have heaped any more praise on on Norman. Um, check out my story at Packer Report on that. Um, I can go. I'm sure, I think Ryan Wood from the Press Gazette wrote about it as well, where Josh Norman is comparing Aaron Rodgers to Gandalf the White from uh, Lord of the Rings. Now that reference means nothing on me. But if you're a Lord, if you're a Lord of the Rings person, you'll say, "Wow, that is really good praise." And Rodgers is pretty, Rogers is pretty pumped up about pumped up about it himself yesterday. But high praise from Norman on the greatness of Aaron Rodgers. But again, I think you've got to run the ball. You've got to at least try to run the ball to get some sort of balance and to keep the defense off balance and, and maybe just maybe make a big play down the field. All right, third down, and it is when the Redskins have the ball against Green Bay's defense. This is a big trouble spot here. Washington ranks fourth in yards per game at 407.8, but just 16th with 23.6 points per game. And that goes back to what Gruden was talking about earlier with, with situational football. You know, they, they've been good on third down, not good enough in the red zone. They've kicked a lot of field goals. But for, a, for a, a, the way Green Bay's defense has struggled of late, Washington's got a lot of weapons. And, and that all starts with quarterback Kirk Cousins having a a huge year from a yards perspective, not so much for touchdowns, but and he's got he's loaded with weapons. Starts in the slot with receiver Jordan Crowder, who I, from Duke, who I just loved a couple years ago. I, I knew the Packers wouldn't take him. He's like five eight, but he's a typical Duke guy, super smart. I mean, he he put up yards in every way imaginable at Duke, and I thought, I mean, this guy is Randall Cobb. Maybe even a little bit more of an electric player than Cobb, but you know Green Bay, Green Bay just does not bother with short guys, and I knew they wouldn't take him. But Crowder's a hell of a player. Forty-four catches, five hundred thirty-five yards, five touchdowns. Green Bay's had all sorts of problems at times covering slot guys, and in the pro, and the, the the real trouble spots have come with those quick guys. You know, Micah Hyde is a good player. He's a savvy player. There's a lot of things well. But he just is not that super quick, super fast guy. And, and, and you know, I just think Crowder's going to be a hell of a tough matchup for Hyde. And then, the opposite of Green Bay, where Green Bay's gotten nothing from its tight ends of late. The Redskins have two. One is Jordan Reed. He's tied with Crowder with 44 receptions. And the other is Vernon Davis. 26 catches. Um, he's got a 14.7-yard average, which leads the team. He got four touchdowns. You know, I, I was asked about Vernon Davis a couple times, well, God, a couple times, a million times over the last couple of years. And I said, no way. I wouldn't take him I wouldn't take him out of bet. I wouldn't take him if you gave him to me. I mean, he was a dog in the 49ers. I mean, he called out coaches. He called out quarterbacks. Um, he was, you know, look, he was, th- he was the same draft class as A.J. Hawks. So, I mean, he was advancing in years, his production in Wayne. And I thought, well, th- this guy's done. And I, and I, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole between the, between age and attitude, no thanks. Well, well, shows what I know. He's, he's had a pretty, pretty good year with the Redskins. Um, but going back to the receivers, so you got Crowder and Reed with 44. Then veteran receiver Pierre Garcon has 42 catches. Um, veteran speedster Deshaun Jackson, who missed last week's game, has 30 catches. And then running back Chris Thompson also has 30 catches. So that's six guys 
with 26 catches. That, that is a lot of firepower to try to take away. Now, you know, Demarius Randall for the Packers did not practice yesterday, which probably does not bode well for him playing, but we'll see, we'll see what he does of anything today. But, you know, this is a... I mean, you, you don't happen in Tennessee last week. Five touchdown passes allowed, seven incompletions. And, and the Titans had a pass rating of like 150. I mean, it was the third worst in Packers history. So the Redskins have a lot of firepower and a really good quarterback in Kirk Cousins, who, uh, McCarthy, was, who McCarthy put a lot of praise on yesterday just because McCarthy enjoys the way that Cousins runs the offense. So when you add that with his passing ability, there's a lot to like there. And Green Bay's pass defense is just terrible. They are 20... You know, entering this season, under, under Dom Capers from 2009 through 2015, they were number two in the NFL in, opposed, in opponent pass rating. They're number 29 this year. So they have fallen off the deep end. And, and again, that's a lot of that's personnel when you don't have Sam Shields and you don't have Demarius Randall. You don't have Quentin Rounds for a lot of the season. And you're end up playing guys like Ladarius Gunter, who's played well, but entered as an undrafted rookie and You've had to play Micah Hyde at corner. You've had to play Dimitri Goodson fresh off a suspension at corner. It's just, you know, then you couple that with the, the pass rushes, which has just totally gone away. Um, speaking of pass rush, you think maybe there's a chance here. You know, Cousins has only been sacked 12 times. They're number two in sack rate. But they lost their left tackle, Trent Williams, to a four-game suspension last week. And, they, you know, the backup came in, um, Ty... And Shecky, I believe is his name. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I'm a writer, so I, I will fully admit that I don't, I don't look at how to pronounce guys' names. So that's, that is sometimes problematic on the podcast when I get to a guy's name and I think to myself, oh, blank. I actually have to say the guy's name. His name is Ty, not Montgomery. He's from Texas State, second-year pro, and he uh, held Everson Griffin from the Vikings without a sack last week. So that's a, that's a pretty good move there. And in his conference call, Gruden was very complimentary toward him, too. And, of course, you know, the coach is always going to be complimentary to all of his players because he's not going to go rip someone, especially with the opposing media. But I had some pretty good words to say about him. So, again, they, they've protected Cousins well, which I think that may be a spot, and especially if Clay Matthews gets back. You know, and Matthews, again, he did practice yesterday. And, you know, if Matthews comes back, he becomes that bona fide pass rusher, and that potentially frees things up for Nick Perry a bit more, who hasn't done much from a pass rush perspective in Matthews' absence. He's been very good against the run, but you know maybe you get that one-two punch going. And remember that playoff game? Nick Perry had a couple sacks against Trent Williams. So I would think he's licking his chops to get another shot at Cousins. But again, for Green Bay, they got to stop the run here too. And the and the Redskins don't have a running back that you think is really good. But as a team, I mean, they've got three guys who've been productive. Um, the guy they list as a starter is Robert Kelly, an undrafted rookie from Tulane. 287 yards, which, you know, say, oh, big deal, but a 4.8-yard average. Veteran Matt Jones, 460 yards and a 4.6 average. Then the aforementioned Thompson, who's a passing game threat, 232 yards and a 4.7-yard average. Thompson is that little guy, while Jones and Kelly are 230-pound guys, bruisers, up-the-middle kind of guys. So they got a little different sort of stuff in those three guys. They've all been productive. So a big, big challenge for our Green Bay defense, which has allowed more points in its last three games 
than at any time since Scooter McLean was the coach in the 1950s. That's how bad things are. And having to face Washington, maybe not a recipe for getting this fixed, but maybe the return of Clay Matthews, if that actually does happen, can, uh, can provide a spark. And finally, that takes us to fourth down, and I look at the special teams and a couple odds and ends notes at the end of that. Dare I say Green Bay has the edge on special teams? Right, maybe I shouldn't say that. But maybe they do here, honest to God. First of all, Washington's strengths, um, kicker, the kicker is Dustin Hopkins, 22 of 26. The two, two of those misses are from 55 and 56 yards, though. So he, they got a good kicker with a, with a big leg who will knock the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs. And then the best matchup here is punt returner Jamison Crowder, NFL best 16.9 yards per punt return with an 85-yard touchdown. He goes up against Green Bay's punt team, which is really what they have going on here. Jacob Shum is 15th in the NFL with a 40.3-yard net average. When I did my Packer Report special teams rankings at the bye, I believe Shum was 28th in net. So he's gone all the way from 28th to 15th in the span of three weeks. So the, the, the punt unit is in ascending group. And it's going to have its work cut out against Crowder. I mean, this is the the best matchup of the game uh, from the special teams perspective. You know, the rest of the stuff here, really no one's any good at anything. You know, the Packers kickoff coverage has been just terrible the last few weeks. Uh, and uh, the aforementioned Kristen Thompson returns uh, kickoffs for the Redskins. He's not very good, averaging about 21 yards per return. Um, and Green Bay's return units have been terrible. All the, I mean, they don't return kickoffs well. Uh, Trevor Davis got benched on punt returns last week. But Washington's kickoff return unit, or kickoff coverage unit, averaging 31 yards given up per return. And uh, punter Tressway next to last in net punting. So there's some opportunities for Green Bay here. But a lot of it, it's strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. And one final note here. Um, on Monday, Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio wrote a story um, saying there's a rift between uh, Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Um, Rodgers at his locker yesterday called that crap. You, know, you said that people shouldn't read that crap. Um, here's, here's what Florio wrote. Uh, so you don't have to go click on this link and give him more clicks. Florio wrote, Rodgers has been engaged in a passive-aggressive attack on McCarthy in recent days. And if the goal is to rattle McCarthy, it's working. After an ugly home loss to the Colts, Rodgers declared that the sideline lacked energy. He shot the man ultimately responsible for ensuring that the players are ready to play. McCarthy said the next day that he thought the energy was pretty good. More recently, Rodgers took more clear aim at McCarthy after an embarrassing loss to a team that in years past was hard-pressed to score 47 in a month, suggesting that the coach doesn't instill the proper amount of it's not personal, it's just business fear and players that, at some point, failure will get them fired. Well, the big thing here, and this is what really aggravates me as a journalist, is the opening part here from Florio in which he references the lack of energy stuff from McCarthy and Rodgers. We talked about this, and what's worse is in the story that Florio links to, he links to Rob Domofsky's story over at ESPN, Rob mentions how this all went down, and he buries that. Of course, Rob buried that fact in the second paragraph of his story. So I'm being sarcastic when I say he buried the fact. Again, we, and we talked about this, but Mike McCarthy in the locker room after that game 
said that the energy was not good enough. So that was McCarthy's message to his players after the game. So then Aaron Rodgers comes into his post-game press conference and repeats the coach's line that the energy wasn't good enough. And Brian Balaga, in the locker room after the game, repeats the coach's line that the energy wasn't good enough. So that's not taking a shot at McCarthy. That's just repeating what the coach said. And, and Floyd damn well should know that. Because again, the story that he linked mentioned it in the second stinking paragraph, you idiot. So that's unbelievable. And then, you know, I'm not saying all is fine in Mudville, as they would say. And there's a chance that, that Rodgers and McCarthy don't get along or don't get along well. But you know what? I talked to someone about this last night. Someone who's been around in the league for forever. He's been with teams with great quarterbacks. And here's his point. This is your loving for McCarthy and Rodgers. They're both leaders. They're both alpha dogs. You spend that much time with the same kind of personality, you know, the, the leader type personality, at some point you're going to bang heads over something, right? And, you know, here, here's what he said. Um, All great leaders, players have ego, and this has gone on for generations. Troy Aikman hated Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Brett wasn't a fan of Holmgren. Sims hated Parcells. This stuff always goes on with elite QBs and coaches. So that's that's what a, a long-time um, league guy told me. Um, so, look, I, I, I put together a, a little video to go with the Roger, with uh, go with my Rogers McCarthy piece last night, and I had no problem finding pictures of Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy smiling and joking together. Look, a picture does, it says a thousand words at sometimes, and sometimes it means nothing. I mean, they they might they might have been laughing at a sign in the car. Who knows? But I I just thought, as Rodgers put it. The story was crap, and um, I just, you know, I, I, your chances are that you read that story. You know, it's pro football talk. They get a million clicks, and then, of course, you know, the blogosphere picks up on what they write, and they all write it. So, uh, you know, I, the chances are you read that story, and I thought it was probably worth saying that. That Florio's story was based on some flawed logic. You know, speaking of flawed logic, you know, the second part of Florio's story, which I forgot to mention, was when, when he mentioned Ryder saying that there, maybe there's not enough fear well, it's not what Rodgers said, though. You know, Rodgers said that there should be fear when you're not playing well. And, in fact, the last I checked, Mike McCarthy, A, doesn't make roster moves. He's not responsible for cutting guys who make mistakes. And, B, um, a few days before that game, the Packers cut Jermaine Whitehead for making a mistake. So, again, a, a false premise there where, McCar- where Florio took the quote out of context. So, not, not as badly as the first quote, but he took that quote out of context as well. And somehow thinks that Mike McCarthy makes roster moves and not Ted Thompson. So with that, I'll let you go. Thanks as always for listening. I truly appreciate it. Have a great day. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. The list.